Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Can we hear me? Is this good? Yeah? I might get fired up today, so it might get real loud. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> whoa, calm down there, buddy. Hold on, calm down, calm down now. Well, we started uh, last week an uh, interesting study, and the Holy Spirit had such incredible plans that uh, we're going to continue that message that we started last week. Off of the heels of our Ephesians uh, series, we have launched into this uh, study on spiritual warfare, uh, and we're going to jump into that uh, momentarily. Uh, But I wanted to start with a little history today. You guys like history, don't you? You guys know me. I love history. I love Bible history. I I love it all. So I think this would be a good place to start today. September 1st, 1941, in light of our conversation on spiritual warfare, September 1st, 1941, Reinhard Hedrick, very German name, decreed that all Jews in the Reich, six years of age or older, were to wear a badge which consisted of a yellow star view. A yellow star a yellow star of David. It was to be worn on the chest with the word Jew inscribed inside the star in German or in the local language. This applied to all German Jews, Jews in Germany's annexed territories as well, the territories of Alsace, Bohemia, Morovia, and Wartegu, and Western Poland, September 1st, 1941. Here we are now, 80 years later, and here's our headline today from Israel. Can we see this first headline? Israel introduces the happy badge. What are we looking at, church? What are we living through right now? What have we learned as a world, and what have we not learned yet? Is it going to be vaxxed versus unvaxxed this time? What's it going to be? I don't know. Uh, Am I just being an alarmist here this morning? Am I wrong to be alarmed at the idea of uh, vaccine passports? That doesn't go well historically, is my point, church. Okay? Uh, I'd be happy to be wrong about this, but you see, I know where this goes. Not only were many Germans accused of being alarmists prior to the genocide, but I know where Bible prophecy says this all goes. Okay? And it's any time now, by the way. It's any time now. Regardless of what you think about COVID-19, it can't be argued, it cannot be argued anymore at this point that the leftist elite, the communists, the globalists, whatever you want to call them, they have used this crisis and or are endeavoring to use this crisis, at the very least, to establish a security state, one form or another. To deny that power grab at this point, to deny that a power grab has transpired over the last 18 months at this point, honestly, is to label yourself a fool at this point. An unprecedented power grab has occurred in the times that we're living in. And as I said, we all know where this goes if you study your Bible at all, especially that book that's in the back of it, right? That little book that's called The Unveiling, that little book that's called The Apocalypse of John or Revelation. I mean, look what's happening, church. Look what's happening. Just in the last 18 months, look what's happening in New York City right now. Have you seen what's happening in New York City? You can't go to a restaurant without your vaccine passport. Now, look, if I, I'm a... I'm a, I'm a uh, 
I'm a freedom guy, right? You want to get a vaccine, get a vaccine. I'm not, I'm for that. Go for it, right? It's your choice. It's your choice. But to force other people to have to get a vaccine or to wear a happy badge if they want to shop, that's a slippery slope. So I think we should talk about it as a church, especially in the context of spiritual warfare, perhaps. Look what's happening in Nashville for that case. I've heard reports uh, even this week of uh, some different fitness facilities that some people attend in our church that they want to go, they love, they love going, but they can't go anymore. Why? Because they have to sh- show a vaccine passport. Okay? That's in Nashville. Look what's happening with the mask. They're masking up our students again. Look, we've all, from the beginning, we knew masks didn't work. All right? They might make you feel better and make somebody else feel better, but we know the medical application is lacking. Yet we're strapping them onto our children again. Church, we're living in unprecedented times, and we know where this goes, and it goes down a road that is more spiritual warfare than guns and bullets, although oftentimes in spiritual warfare, guns and bullets are involved. So, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of Satan, the anti-freedom demonic cabal has slammed on the gas pedal, so I think it might be a timely conversation for us to have spiritual warfare. You see, they know what time it is. You, ever, you, you look what's happening in the world, and it's like, boy, that escalated quickly, right? Well, you know why it escalated quickly is because they know what time it is. Do you know what time it is? Or are we covering our eyes and plugging our ears and hoping that everything can just go back to normal the way that it was, right? They know what time it is in history. They know what time it is relative to that book in the back of your Bible. See, do you know what time it is relative to his time clock with Israel fastly approaching 80 years old? I believe that what we are witnessing, church, is the forerunning to Revelation chapter 13, a one-world government, a one-world currency, and the mark, yes, the mark of the beast. Can you believe that's not even popular to talk about in church anymore? Revelation chapter 13, verse 17 reads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Is the vaccine passport the mark of the beast? I don't think so. But I can't help but notice the similarities as far as the trend and what we may be getting conditioned for, what the world may be getting conditioned for. Silver lining, if I'm right, Jesus can't be far behind. Amen? I don't think that the timing of our study is coincidental at all, as a matter of fact. Uh, I said last week, you know, uh, it's amazing. Well, I don't know if I said this from the platform, but in talking to all you guys, you know that we love to study the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We like to do that a lot. You know, but sometimes as a pastor, I need to give certain sermons for certain days, certain holidays, certain issues that rise up in our culture. We just have to talk about like what we've been talking about already. But it's funny to me that, you know, you, so that being the case that you have to do that as a pastor sometimes, you don't want to tie yourself into talking about just Hebrews for the next 10 months, right? Or whatever. I mean, we were in Ephesians for 12 weeks, right? So... Well, what jumps out to me is how good the Holy Spirit is because it's even each section of did that each section of that sermon series not just hit the nail on the head for what we're dealing with right now? And I don't think it's a coincidence that we have rolled right into spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter six, starting at verse ten, we put on the armor of God. Amen. Amen. The church is largely. Largely, not this church, but the church at large has largely been lulled to sleep by a culture propagated by the pulpits that for most part only serves its own self or its own need for emotional gratification. That's the church at large. Attend church on Sunday, meet my own emotional needs. 
I'm not here today to give you emotional gratification. Okay? I'm here to wake you up and to put a sword in your hand. Because whether you realize it or not, you're in a war. And the enemy hates you. He hates you. And he wants your head on a pike. That's how much he hates you. And he doesn't care whether or not you understand your feelings. Okay? He's coming for your soul, and he's coming for the souls of the people that you love. He's playing for keeps. Do we understand that yet? Do we? He hates you because Jesus loves you. He hates you because he's a prideful, jealous, hateful being. That's who he is. And this is a war that started before we were even here, and it won't be finished until we, the church, are gone. Amen? Or rather, transfigured, should I say. Satan, Satan and his demonic horde play for keeps. They play for keeps. Are you playing for keeps? Like I said, I'm here to put a sword in your hand today. They want to keep the souls of those whom Christ would love. And Jesus would have it that none be lost. So let's do this. Let's go back over where we were, where we left off. We have four main points as we study through this uh, warfare topic. I'm going to remind you of a few of them. We left off at point three, and then we're going to go into sub, some sub-points on different ways that Satan, that schemer, loves to scheme. Okay? So our first point, can we see that on the screen? For those of you note-takers, make sure you've, you're up to speed with us. We were going through some battle strategies, as Paul told us to put on the full armor of God. Be strong in the Lord, point one. Be strong in the Lord, point two. Can we see point two? Put on your battle gear. What was your battle gear? Can we see the full armor list? The full armor of God? We have that list. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Feet fitted with the gospel. The gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, very important. We'll get back to some of that today. The sword of the Spirit, and then, of course, on top of all of that, he tells us to pray. You are in a war. Don't go into battle without your armor, without your sword in your hand. Amen? With that, actually, I... I I told Eva I was going to do this. Eva, Eva gave me a hard time because we, here we studied through the entire chapter, whole, the entire book of Ephesians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I forgot to read the very last verse. Eva, can we see verse 24? Can we see that? She said, Dad, you forgot verse 24. We can't have that, can we? All right. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And that's you, right? How could we leave that one off? Now we have gone through the entire book of Ephesians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Thank you, Eva. Thank you. The third thing that we need to do, third point, is to stand against the devil's schemes. We need to stand. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can. That's my favorite part of the whole verse because if you don't, you can't. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. He is a schemer. He is a schemer, and he's a trickster. And so we are moving some of the way, through some of the ways that that liar, the devil, schemes against you. And we're going to expose him. Sound like a plan? Mayada Musashi most famous swordsman in all of the world, regarded by all the samurai to be the most, most prolific swordsman, famously said, know your enemy, know his sword, and so we shall. Let's see some of the ways that the devil schemes, shall we? We've got six of them for you here right off the bat. Number one, he blinds the minds of unbelievers, doesn't he? 
He's pretty good at that, actually. Have you had a conversation lately with an unbeliever? Let me ask you that. Have you had a conversation with an unbeliever about the election? How'd that go? Have you had a conversation with an unbeliever about the rapture, soon rapture of the church lately? How did that go? Probably not very well if it's happened, if you had the opportunity. Probably thought you were a fool, right? How often is it that we talk with unbelievers and they just see the world completely differently, right? You know, wisdom is available to whosoever should ask. If you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. If you don't believe in God, though, you might not ask him for wisdom and you might not have wisdom, right? So it might be hard for somebody with wisdom to carry on, you know, say, talk about these things with unbelievers. Not to mention the fact that Satan is actively trying to blind the minds of unbelievers. He's trying to get a hold of your mind, church, you understand. He's inundating you, inundating your children with media content in movies, in TV shows, on commercials now. It is a full-on assault of your mind. Do you understand that? They're trying to brainwash you, literally. Teach you that what God says is unacceptable is acceptable, and if you don't accept it, then you're the weird one, right? Then you're the bigot, you're intolerant, you're racist, whatever they want to say. It's a full-on assault. It's from every media source. It's from the news media. It's from every angle. Every angle. I mean, you've seen, you've watched, have you ever watched MSNBC? I mean, even just for a minute, sorry. No. He's after your mind, and this is so important. If you missed our, uh, our message last Wednesday night, on repent and what it truly means to repent. We're doing a foundation series with our online uh, messaging. And we were talking about what it means to repent. Well, the word repent, metanio in the Greek, means to change your mind. It has nothing to do with being sorry, okay? Sorry can be a result of it, or if you're really sorry, it can lead you to repent. But repenting really isn't being sorry. It means to change your mind. And this is a theme for Paul throughout Ephesians and throughout all of his letters, to be honest with you. He's always telling us to renew our minds, renew your mind in prayer, renew your mind in the study of the Word of God. Renew your mind. Is there any wonder that the helmet that you put on is the helmet of salvation? Because where does salvation take place for you? Do you know? Right here. This is where salvation takes place, right here. It's when we believe that we are sealed. It's when we repent, when we change our mind from unbelief to belief. We repent, change our mind. It happens here. The word soul, we're always talking about getting your, you want your soul saved. We've got to save people's souls in the church, right? It's our commission. Well, the word soul in the Greek means your consciousness. It's your mind. Is there any wonder that the helmet of salvation guards your mind? So what does Satan want to do? He wants in here so bad. He wants to mess with your head. He wants to rob you of your identity so you don't live your life like a king's kid, so you don't walk with the confidence that a prince or a princess of the kingdom of the almighty God would live with. He doesn't want you to expect divine favor when you go in for a job interview. He doesn't want you to expect the Holy Spirit to give you the words to speak when you don't know what you're going to say. Hmm. This might turn into a three-part sermon. <laughs> and I've got communion today, too. Uh, he's after your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 4 reads... But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4. Whose minds the God, lowercase g, of this age has blinded. Who do not believe. 
He's blinding their minds. Why? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He is actively trying to keep people unsaved, do you realize? He's trying to mess with their minds, keep them unsaved. He's trying to get in your mind, because that's where salvation happens. And if he can get you to believe a different gospel and get you to believe in a different Jesus and get you to believe that somehow your eternal destination is up to you on, your, on merit or performance on anything but the blood of Christ and that it was all paid for by him, not, not him and you. If he can get in the, your head and get you to believe in a different Jesus, then what? Salvation is here. That's why he's shooting those arrows. He's aiming right between the eyes or between the ears, however you want to say it. Because he is a deceiver. That's point two. He's a deceiver. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 through 15 reads, And no wonder, no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Verse 15. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Oh, uh-oh. That's alarming. We, now, we went through Jude chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we discovered that there might be some wolves in the church today, huh? His servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserves. The wolves that will come for you will appear, hear me now, will appear to be masquerading as servants of righteousness. So much so that you'll probably be so surprised that you have to question, no, surely not. Not them. Hmm. If it hasn't happened to you yet, if you haven't encountered that even within the church yet, well, you probably have at this point, haven't you? False teaching, bad advice, or indifference. Have you, have you sought out the counsel of other people in different churches? Surely not this one, right? But people at church, other believers sought counsel, I need advice on, you know, I'm struggling with uh, ungodly living or I'm struggling with sin, this or that. And instead of being offered correction and pointed to the word of God, you're offered indifference or that's not that big of a deal or bad advice, bad teaching even. Look, we've got to look at this from every angle because these are favorite tools that Satan likes to use. He is a deceiver. Betrayal is a common tactic for disengagement as well with people among the body of Christ. You ever been betrayed by somebody in your church? It's like a knife, right? Satan uses that. He uses that to try and get people out of church. If Satan can get somebody in the church to make you feel betrayed, you might throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. And then he'll come whispering lies of defeat to you. Has anybody ever had Satan whisper lies of deceit? De uh, defeat to you? Just me then, I guess. Okay. <laughs> you know, those people at church, they don't get you, you know. They don't know you. How could they know what you're going through? They don't even bother. Don't even open your mouth, right? Mm -mm -mm. Why would they care? Why would anyone care for that matter, he says. He whispers in the quiet stillness of your mind. Don't even bother. You're alone. You're a disappointment, really. You're a failure. God has abandoned you, he says. You know what I say to that? I saw this graffiti art a couple years ago. It's a picture. Can I see that one, guys? That one I told you about that I told you I didn't know where I wanted to put it. Can you show that picture? Here's what I say to that. Here's what I say to Satan when he comes whispering. Hmm? Maybe that's right on time, Leith, huh? Right there. Fear is a liar. Fear is a liar, church. Have you ever been woken up in the early hours of the day 
early hours of the morning. Maybe as you laid in bed and just felt the grip of despair seize you. Just me again then. (laughs) He is such a liar. (laughs) He is such a liar. He wants to rob you of your identity. Do you know that? He wants you to forget who and whose you are. He wants to label you. He wants to, to show all the ways that you are broken so you can identify yourself with your shortcomings. That's what he wants. He wants you to identify your person, who you are, with all of the ways you're broken. When he, when he, here's what he wants. Here's what Jesus wants. He, Jesus wants when you think about you to think about how God sees you which is wearing a robe of righteousness, worthy his very own beloved. Here's what Satan wants you to think about. All of the ways you've screwed up. And he wants you to own that rather than the robe of righteousness. Mm. He wants you to think that you are anything but what you truly are. And what you truly are is the heir of God himself. Whoo! Come on now. The one, think about this. You are the one whom God has chosen to wage war against the enemy at the end of all time. You have been chosen to be the generation to see these things that we were talking about earlier happen on the face of the earth. The forerunning for Revelation 13 is here and he picked you to be here. That's kind of a big deal. I'd say he trusts you. I would say he must think you're something special. Mm. Any wonder why Satan wants you out of the fight then, huh? Why he's a liar and a deceiver. You know what else he does? He destroys relationships. Third point. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Verse 11. In order that Satan might not outwit us. He's trying to outwit you. <laughs> you get that? For we are not unaware of his schemes. The first church wasn't. Is this church unaware of his schemes? No. No, no, no. We know who he is, and we're exposing him. Amen? Too often we cling to the smallest offenses. The smallest offenses. We need to ask ask ourselves this question. Hear me now on this one, church, okay? Especially as we move forward, building this church in this community. In the scope of eternity... Does the offense I have with my brother or sister in Christ really matter? In the scope of eternity, does it matter? Don't let the devil divide your relationships over petty stuff, okay? Let's not let that happen. There will be too many people coming at you in deliberate wickedness to sweat the small stuff. Hmm. However, I will say this, don't for- confuse forgiveness with trust, okay? You know, when you forgive somebody, it means you no longer desire for them to pay for their offense, okay? I'm letting it go. I don't need justice. I don't need you to pay for the bad thing that you did for it to me. I'm letting it go, okay? Great. You have now forgiven that person. Trusting them is letting them sit right back behind you with the same knife in their hand that they stuck you with before, okay? Don't, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that you have to trust them again, okay? Trust is earned, all right? We could do a whole sermon on that one. Fourth way, he hinders ministry from happening. Schemes of the devil, we're not unaware of his schemes, he hinders ministry from happening. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 through 18. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, because they're always thinking of them, 
Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Verse 18, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. He's not without power, you understand. Now we have the victory, and every demon must flee at the name of Jesus. But Satan has tools and circumstances and people that are readily available for him to use. Mm. I've said this a million times. Satan hates you and he hates this church and he will work every angle to try and stop it from happening. He will. What's happening here is special. He's going to break your car down. (laughs) He'll do what he can. He'll try to break your spirit. He's going to influence those who have influence over you. This verse is all about how Satan wants to stop you from participating in the ecclesia. You know what church is, right? Isn't this a beautiful church that we're at? Wait, it's the Rutledge West, right? You are the church. This is a beautiful facility that God has blessed us with using, right? But it isn't a church. You are the church. An ecclesia, a a group of people. You know, ecclesia means in Greek, it just means a group of people that are called out in public for whatever purpose, right? Well, we are his ecclesia, God's ecclesia. We are called out in public to gather in the name of Jesus that makes us ecclesia church. You are the church. He doesn't want it to happen. He doesn't want, he, he doesn't, and, and now, especially with like, with uh, the internet and broadcasting of sermons everywhere, we're broadcasting right now all around the world. Wednesday night, we had a gentleman from India on there with us, the whole, whole uh, lesson. Pretty amazing, isn't it? This little church in this little community, live in India. So I don't know if I want to get out of my sweatpants and, you know, I'll just watch it on the sofa, right? He wants it to stop. The ecclesia is the public gathering. So technically, you can't have church in home, at home, just so you know, because church is the public gathering of believers, okay? And it's important because we're all gifted with different giftings that we bring together and become stronger together than we ever are separately. That's kind of the point. He made us to need each other. Let me ask you two questions. When you're here, are you ministered to? Amen? When you're here, do you minister to others? The answer is yes. Whether you realize it or not, the answer is yes. Your very presence, by the way, encourages other people who are here. It encourages me. So if nothing else, you're encouraging your pastor by coming to church. Satan doesn't want you here. He doesn't want you here for you, and he doesn't want you here for your brothers and sisters, like-minded believers. I remember uh, years ago, um, I was waiting tables, uh, and I would work downtown making amazing chocolate fondue. I'm just saying, I'm pretty good at it, okay? And I wouldn't get home sometimes till 1, 2 in the morning on a Saturday night, I'd never forget laying down in bed and my feet are just killing me, you know, and I fall asleep finally. And then the alarm goes off, you know, five or six hours later and Amber says, do you want to go to church? I understand if you're you're too tired or your feet hurt. And the answer was always, no, I did not want to go. But I would say, we have to go. And I'd drag my bones out of bed Because I would know that when I went to church, there was going to be at least three or four people that noticed I was gone and I knew I was an encouragement to them. Okay? And then guess what? Every time after service, when we were leaving, I was so glad that I went. I like that story. Point five, what else does Satan do? His schemes, he sends false teachers. And we've really got to be aware of this one. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through, 4, or 1 through 2 reads, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings, verse 2, come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot 
iron. They are all around us. They are all around us. Prosperity gospel is a false teaching, all right? If you're praying for a miracle, guess what? God still does miracles. But if you're praying for it and praying for it and praying for it and it's not happening, that's the will of God. It's not because you don't have enough faith, okay? Then that's just one. That's just one example. Uh, I mean, yeah, let me do this. There, I mean, there's... If you have not watched the American Gospel documentary on Amazon, make a note of that and go watch it. All right? And I could probably just leave that there. Countless people have been hurt and confused by false teachings. But the good news is, is you know... Jesus will not lose one from his hand, we've been told. Amen? This one really... I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because I'll spend a lot of time on this one. We, uh, the pastor who led me in, into ministry and really uh, the, he ordained me as well, he always said that he felt he had a ministry to burnt stones. And Amber and I, in our ministry, it really seems like we have inherited that anointing as well. A burnt stone is a rock, rock-solid truth, right? But through a fire, the rock doesn't melt, but it gets scarred, it gets damaged, it's dirty. I've actually got a rock at home that went through a fire, and you can't rub the black off of it, right? A burnt stone in this idea is a believer who's been burned by the church, still has faith, still holds on to salvation, but has been hurt. So this one is personal to me, really. Uh, and six, we've got to keep moving. He persecutes Christians. You are promised persecution, church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Okay, there's a preacher out there who tells you to live your best life now. If, I'm just saying, if that can happen here, I'm, I'm scared, Right? We, our life is eternal, first of all, and my best life is going to be in the presence of my Savior. Amen. Amen? And we're put here and now to be ambassadors for him, to advocate for his kingdom, strangers in a strange land. This place is not my home, right? And we suffer for it because Satan hates us, okay? Period. Your best life is the life to come. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. One thing that Jesus promised us is that they will hate you because they hated him. You're in good company. Okay? Our last point for the, well, no, two more points. Point four. Point four. Didn't mean to get your hopes up. <laughs> we need to realize that this battle is against the unseen world. That would actually make a really cool sermon series title, The Unseen World. It's against the unseen world. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. We just read it last week. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who we're fighting. That's who's behind the cabal, guys. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand. Amen? We are at a war. We are at war. And the sooner that you realize it and begin living from that perspective, the sooner you'll step into what God has for you all the more. Because he wants to use you right where you are. Right where you are, he wants to use you. It might not be in the way that you thought he would use you, but he wants to use you. But you first got to realize, you've got to realize what you're fighting against before you can figure out how to engage this enemy. 
When we engage the enemy with the word of God, with discernment from the Holy Spirit, and with truth, when we remind the enemy that he's beneath our feet, tell you what, next time he comes to you with those despair, despairing thoughts, remind him of who you are and where he is. Yes. Take up your authority today, church, I implore you. Put on your armor of God. These are the end days, and we have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We have to have our wits about us, so we're not outwitted, right, as Paul said. We have to have our perspectives, and we have to have our priorities focused. I'm here to put a sword in your hand. Last point, remember that the battle belongs to the Lord ultimately. I know this because uh, he said so. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 4, For the Lord your God is the one who goes, goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Psalm 121, 1 through 2, I lift my eyes towards the mountain. Where will my help come from? Where does your help come from, church? Oh, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 9, verse 9 through 10, the Lord is a refuge for the persecuted, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you because you have not abandoned those who seek you. And the next time God, the Satan comes to you and says, God has abandoned you. He doesn't even hear you. He doesn't even see you. You speak to that liar the word of truth right here. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That should make you feel good now, huh? And this is the victory that has overcome the world. You ready for it? What is it? Faith. Faith. Amen. Amen. I could, go, I could keep going. I could go on and on and on. Verse after verse. Oh, man. Let me share this one more thing with you, okay? Peter and John were arrested, and they were held overnight. You guys remember that story? Peter and John, they're arrested for preaching. The Pharisees are trying to get them to stop preaching, stop talking about Jesus, right? Well, let's read this real quick. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 21 through 22, and then 23 through 30. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done, healings miraculous, the gospel being taught. Verse 22, for this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 43 or 40 years old. Verse 23, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. And what was their response? Let's jump forward now to verse 29. And now they said, Lord, Consider their threats against us. Consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with boldness. Yes, Pharisees, we have heard your threats. We've been imprisoned. You've threatened us. You released us based on the assumption that we would take your threats seriously. And what is our response now? Lord, help me be even bolder. Mm. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't ask, to take, they didn't ask the Lord to take the problem away, but for the power to overcome it, and thus the ability to glorify God through it. There's no promise that hard times aren't coming upon us before the rapture, by the way. And I'll tell you one thing that the, this prosperity gospel fraud has really damaged, it's really done to the church, is that I don't think a large part of the church is going to know what to do with persecution in this country. 
They may lose faith because they'll feel abandoned because everything they thought as far as how God worked isn't happening because they're having to suffer now. How will you suffer? How will you suffer? Peter and John said, Lord, help us be bolder. It might even bring more persecution, but it'll glorify you. Mm. Half the battle is realizing that you're not a victim, but a victor. You know that? Boldness is not reckless impulsiveness, understand. It's the power of the Holy Spirit giving us courage and strength to overcome the social discomfort and discouragement that comes along with it. So we'll stop there because we have communion. I need time for that. I hope you've been blessed today. I hope you feel encouraged, edified. I hope you feel the sword in your hand. We'll invite our ushers to come forward and Leith to come forward. We, uh, a lot of you guys might know this, but our heating and air went out last week, the hottest week of the year. So we were displaced a little bit, so we kind of got out of routine. Normally we like to do communion on the first Sunday of the month, but uh, we're out of r- routine a little bit, so we're going to go ahead and do it today because we don't want to miss it. So let's do this as our ushers pass out everything. Satan thought that he was achieving the greatest victory. Here he had been trying to snuff out the seed line of the promised Messiah for hundreds, nay, thousands of years at this point. Jesus gathered in the upper room with the disciples Satan had already hatched his plan. The Pharisees had already paid Judas the 30 pieces of silver. And they were waiting for the word. They were waiting for the moment that the disciples and Jesus would go back to Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. There they would arrest him. There they would try him three different times. Ultimately, they would crucify him on Passover. And Satan thought he had finally gotten it done. Last second in the fourth quarter, I bet he was thinking. I got him. But what Satan thought was a victory was really our victory. Amen? And as Jesus, as Jesus sat back and reclined at the Seder meal for Passover, at that last Seder, we say last supper, it was a Seder meal, it was a really last Seder. A a Passover meal that is just so full of messianic prophecy. And here he was, the very fulfillment of that prophecy, participating with them in that upper room. And he lifted up the cup of redemption which he would soon become our redemption, right? Well, let's do this. Let's take out our bread wafer. And can we all stand together? Let's stand together. Shall we do this? He looked at the disciples and he said, this is my body. There's a piece of what they call matzah bread. It's a bread that has no leaven, so it's not fluffed up. It's like a thin cracker, it looks like. It looks bruised. It's pierced. It was prophesied that no bone would be broken and no bone was broken. So he said, this is my body which is given for you. Because you understand, no man took his life. He gave it to us freely. So do this in remembrance of me. Remember that I gave my body for you. Because God knows we forget. Let's remember him this morning and take it together. Then he lifted up that third cup of wine, the cup of redemption, as they called it. He said, this is my blood that is shed for you. And indeed, his blood did spill out onto the ground at Calvary for you, that you might be redeemed. Amen? Let's take it and remember his blood shed together. 
Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We remember the sacrifice that you, you gave to us, Lord. You made for us, Lord, that you took the full punishment of our sin. You paid that debt for us, Lord Jesus. We remember what you did. Your body beaten. So much so that you weren't even recognizable. Your blood shed for us, Lord. We put our faith and trust in you and your word, Lord, that that payment was enough. That when you, when you cried out to Telestai, you said, paid in full and it is finished. And we say thank you for paying our debt, Lord. And we believe that, that, when, that when that tomb was empty on the third day, that was evidence that God, received, God the Father received that payment as acceptable. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the robe of righteousness you offer to us. And we receive it by putting our faith and trust in what you did, the work you accomplished, not the work of our own hands, Lord. We say thank you, Jesus. See the faith of your people this morning as we remember you and profess and confess our faith in you. Receive this as worship this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Church, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May your life glorify him. May you be a light in a dark place. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. Amen. Prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, we love you guys. Thank you so much.